Hebrews chapter 11. If you get tired of me saying that, well, you've got a few more weeks to go. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to preach till I get finished. Amen. I'm real nervous about this message. By the way, uh, I wanted to dedicate that choir special to in memory of Miss Edna Ballou. Her funeral is today at 5 o'clock. I know none of you will be able to attend that because you can't get back here by 6, but the visitation is 3 to 5. I believe your place ought to be in your, your church. Amen? I really believe that, and she'd want that. But I want to tell you something. I thank God for a pastor and evangelist wife. I read an a article this week, and I'm careful about what I read on Facebook because you don't know if it's true or not, but I've verified this, that there was a pastor's wife committed suicide uh, this past week. Uh, 20, 34 years old. Four chi three children and a young pastor uh, husband and she couldn't take the pressure went off and killed herself uh, you don't know the stress and the pressure that's upon uh, a pastor or evangelist wife so I appreciate Miss Edna Ballou because a lot of times Brother Stennett was on the road and she had to stay home and take care of the kids and the family and I salute her and I remember her and I honor her and uh what a reunion. It must have been uh, Friday when uh, she saw the Lord face to face, but then she found her stenet because they were a close couple. She wrote a great book on marriage that I've got in my library. You ought to read it. And a tremendous man of God. I appreciate Brother Stenet influencing our church for faith promise given, don't you? And Miss Edna, is it Edna? Edna, I'm bad on first names. Sister Ballou had a great part in that because she was right by him. Amen. And she couldn't come because she's sick a lot. She'd send him with her prayers. And then he'd fix her a plate back here and take her home something to eat. Isn't that precious? Hebrews 11, 32. Um, the reason I'm nervous about this message, I got 58 verses to cover because we're going to go back to 1 Samuel 17. So I'm very nervous. You ought to be nervous. Some of you are already leaving. Praise God. Don't do that. But uh, look at um, Hebrews 11:32, and I'll preach maybe half of it. And we'll come back tonight because I know everybody's going to come back tonight at 6 o'clock and hear the rest of the message. I just know that. Or you're going to listen to it by the um, way of internet. Don't you thank God for our media team? By the way, Tuesday night, uh, Brother Reimer's family is going to be here. And we're going to honor and in memory of Brother um, Larry and give this Bible to a preacher boy because this is a nice Bible. And I didn't want to just give it to some little kid. I want to give it to a preacher. Brother Larry would like that. Also, Brother Cody's got a presentation to make uh, that's going to be hung up in the sound room. And he's been waiting to do that a long time, and I've been putting him off to the family. Come. They're all going to take place Tuesday night. Amen? Tuesday night. So I'm excited about that. And I sure miss Brother Larry, don't you? And aren't you glad God put a thirst in your heart to be in the house of God? You know, something's wrong if you don't have a thirst to be with God's people around God's word uh, thirst to sing the choir. Thank you, Miss Joanne, for standing up during that choir special and singing. Praise God. All you choir members do that next time we do that. And we're looking forward to having you back. Might have to socially distant and have you scattered all over the auditorium, but we're going to have you back singing soon. I don't know when that'll be, but soon. Let's stand on the Word of God. Uh, I got 58 verses, and here I am fooling around. Amen. But no, I'm, I don't think it's fooling around to honor a evangelist wife. Amen. Verse 32, and what shall I more say? Good question. For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, 
and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, and of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who by faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lion, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, our weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in the fight. There's the thought. Waxed valiant in the fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. I want you to go back to that phrase, waxed valiant in the fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And then one word in verse 32, David. You may be seated. Father, thank you for this wonderful study of these great men and ladies of God in the Hall of Fame of Faith. And Lord, we know they were real people, as we'll discover tonight, with real flaws and real weaknesses and real fears. But God, they lived and operated and fought and moved forward by faith. Now, Lord, help us to increase our faith this morning. And God, we need it. If the disciples have to pray, increase our faith. Who are we not to pray, Lord, increase our faith? And so, Lord, please do that today. Be with those that are home, that are sick, God, those in quarantine, those that couldn't be here but like to be here. God, thank you, Lord, for health and strength to be here. And God, I want to thank you for the desire to be here. I don't know any place I'd rather be than right where I'm at, preaching the Word of God and preaching this great thought about faith. Well, thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, go to 1 Samuel 17, please. I appreciate all the good comments and thank you letters that I received this week. I appreciate the thank you letters. Had a lot of criticism, had a lot of uh, crud come my way, but it's so wonderful to have some thank you letters on having awesome preaching in August because the message spoke to your heart these last three weeks, and I appreciate that so much because I came very close to putting it off. But uh, thank the Lord. What a great message, Brother Chris Priest. Amen? I want you to look at 1 Samuel 17. Here's my dilemma. I don't have time to read 58 verses. So if you'll promise to me when you go to bed tonight, you'll read 58 verses in your sleep, or, or before you go to sleep, excuse me, or when you get up, I won't cover all of them, but I want to cover some of them because this is a great fight. You know, William Randolph Hearst, after hearing about evangelistic meeting in a Ringley Brothers circus tent in L.A., um, he heard several prominent people got saved during this crusade. And this magnet, uh, William Randolph Hearst, intrigued by what um, happened, said two words to his staff, Puff Graham, Puff Graham. That was a literary term or a newspaper term to say, hey, listen, push this evangelist. Something's good about him. And within days, the world knew about Billy Graham. He was soon featured in Time, Newsweek, Life, and giving him instantaneous international prominence. And the rest of the story is history. God used Hearst to open the door. I don't even know if Hearst was saved. Don't sound like a saved man, does it? The Hearst. Uh, opened the door of worldwide outreach through Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Now, God can use the most unusual circumstances and people to achieve the purpose that he has for this world that his name might be magnified. And this is what happened to a young shepherd named David. 
And even though he served as Saul's personal musician, he played the harp. And I really believe it wasn't the harp that we think about. I think it was the mouth harp. I think it was the harmonica. I really do. Because how could he practice on the hillside with one of these big old string things? <laughs> so anyway, that's just my thought. That's probably liberal, and y'all just take it like it is. Put him back with a long harp. I don't care. But I mean, he soothed David's nerves. I'll tell you, one thing that's got me through this pandemic is soothing instrumental Christian music on Pandora. And I'm too cheap to buy the thing where you take off the commercials. So I listen to commercials every 15 minutes, but they're pretty good commercials so far. But I love that musician music, that just melodious. You can call me old-fashioned if you want to, but uh, I like a background of some good godly music. Because I remember those hymns when I was a kid. And so I know what they're playing. Amen? Now, you can have your metallic rock and you can have your Christian rock. I think it makes you nervous. So I don't listen to that junk. But I want to tell you this, friend. God help us to realize that Saul's person musician, but also he carried his armor into battle. And in Israel, they knew little about his skills and ability. But most important of all, they didn't know about his relationship with God on those hillsides. The Lord is my shepherd. Amen. And so through all this circumstance, which happens to be a divine appointment, David walks on the scene to deliver the cheese, and he hears this maniac, this nine-foot-six-inch giant, blaspheming God and challenging God's army to come down and fight him. And so we see the story, and it picks up here, of how mammoth Goliath was. Uh, in verse 5 through uh, 7. But look at verse 8. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why art you come out, why, uh, why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and you servants uh, to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. And so he's raving and ranting and blaspheming and cussing. And he, and he says, and if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, look at verse 9, chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. Uh, but if I prevail against, he said, I will be your servant. But if I, prevail, if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall you be our servant and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy, that's his mistake, the armies of Israel. This day, give me a man that he may fight together. And when Saul and all the Israel heard these words of the Philistines. They were dismayed. That means they were discouraged. You ever felt discouraged thinking the giants in your life were just so insurmountable? You ever been through a discouraging time where you didn't see much hope? Well, this is what these soldiers were thinking. And look at this. It says, and they were greatly afraid. Now, David was the son of the Ephronite and the Benjamite, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man went among men of an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons, Jesse, went and followed Saul to battle. And the names of his three sons that went into battle were Eliab, Eliab, and the firstborn, and next to Abinadab, and third was Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep. In Bethlehem. And the Philistines drew near morning and evening and presented him 40 days. And Jesse said unto David, his son, Take now thy brethren an ephod of, his, of this parched corn 
and ten loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand and, and look now thy brethren fair and take their pledge. In other words, he wanted a message from his son that they were okay. Look at verse 19. Got to read this now. Hang with me. Now Saul and they that all the men of Israel were in the valley of Ephod fighting with the Philistines and David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper Look at it, took care of his sheep. And he took and went as Jesse had commanded him and came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army, and David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage. He was always careful to take care of everything. And he ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came unto him a champion, the Philistine of Goth, Goliath by name out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words and David heard them. Now listen. And the men of Israel said, verse 25, you following? And have seen this man that is come up, surely to defy Israel is come up and he shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Well, I'd pay tax. And David spake to the men, and stood by him saying, what shall be done to this man that killeth this Philistine? And taketh away the reproach from Israel, higher calling. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people answered him after this matter saying, so shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Elijah, his um, uh, eldest brother heard when he spake into the uh, to the men and Eliab answered was kindled against David and he said why camest thou hither and with whom thou left those few sheep in the wilderness I know thy pride and thy naughtiness of thine heart for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle look at verse 29 business picks up and David said what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him towards another and spake after the same matter. And the people answered him again after the former manner. When the words were heard that David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul. And he sent for them. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou were not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. For thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And verse 34 says, And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. There came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him, and smote him, and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose again, I called him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. The servant slew both the lion, thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And David said, moreover, the Lord has delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. And he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with thee. He wasn't going to go. He was the tallest man in the army. He wasn't going to go, big chicken. But David, a little shepherd. Now look at verse 38. Saul armed David with his armor. Get this now. David was a 32 regular. Here's a 44 extra large. 
armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. And also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword with armor, and he essayed to go. He tried to go. The armor was on, and he had not proved it. He had not proved it. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off from him. And he took his staff in his hand and, and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. I wonder why five. Everybody says, oh, it's the number of grace. I've heard a lot of messages on that. I want to tell you why he, he picked five. He was going to keep on slinging to that giant fell. Say amen. I'm a little practical when it comes to the Bible. I'm not going to spiritualize. He was going, if it took five, it's going to take five, Brother Bobby. He was, going to, he, he was going to get that giant. Now look at this. He took five smooth stones and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a script. And his sling was in his hand. That's all he had. And he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. I've had three people leave the room that's watching by way of TV right now. Just hang in here, amen? I'm going I'm to read the rest of these verses. It's a blessing. And it's not just a child's story. It's real life. Look at verse 42. And when the Philistines looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth and is ruddy and fair of countenance. And the Philistines said unto David, I, Am I a dog that thou comest with me with staves? And the Philistines cursed David by his gods. And the Philistines said to David, Come to me and I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the fields. Then, David, then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hands, and I will smite thee, and I'll take thy head from thee, and I'll give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day into the fowl there, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all the assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord. If you're in the habit of underlining something, that's something you ought to underline. Highlight it. For the battle is the Lord's. That's helped me. Now listen to this. And he will give you unto our hands. It came to pass. When the Philistine rose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hastened and ran towards the army to meet the Philistines. <clears throat> David put his hand in the bag. Can you see that? And he took hence a stone, one stone, and he sling it. I got that underlined too. He sling it. And smote the Philistine in the forehead. That the stone sunk into the forehead and he fell upon the face to the earth. Now look what happened. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. And he smote the Philistine and slew him. There was no sword in the hand of David. And therefore David ran. You know why? He thought that old big giant was going to come too. So he ran and he stood upon the Philistine and took his sword, Goliath's sword, and drew it out of the sheave thereof and slew him and cut off the head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 34. Now listen to this. And the men of the Israel and the, and, uh, of Judah rose and shouted him, pursued the Philistines and to come to the valley of the gates of Ekron. 
and he wounded and the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way of Shemarim, even into Goth and to Ekarn. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine, brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistines, he said to Amner, the captain of the host, Amner, whose son is this you? And Amner said, as the soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. I don't know who this little shepherd is. And the king said, inquire thou whose son this stripling is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistines in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of the servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, for that's a lot of reading. But that's the word of God. And I can't sometimes understand how people can preach and never preach the word of God. So just for a few minutes, we got 20 minutes, plus a little. I want to preach on prepared for the battle by faith. David prepared for the battle by faith. I want you to notice, number one, the door of opportunity in this story. God provided David with a door of opportunity to prove himself and David walked through that door. God said, I got to open up a door to prove that I'm greater than the heathen and that nobody defiles my name. And so a miraculous victory had taken place a few months back in Mishmash. And uh, Jonathan was in charge of that battle, his soul brother, next chapter. And folks, uh, it was a great victory uh, for Israel. And many people were killed because of an earthquake. It just destroyed the army and they were confused, and they, and they were disarrayed. You read it later. I could read about 10 more verses in 1 Samuel 14. And then the Philistines regrouped, and uh, because they were routed and defeated in this battle, they came up with a plan that's customary, that they were going to have a representative fight for them, and that Israel would pick a representative, and whoever won that battle of those two people, man on man, one on one, then the other team, the other team, the other nation would be the servants to them. And so that's why Goliath was raving and ranting, saying, Hey, listen, come down and let me defeat you. And if you defeat me, I'll be your servant. And if I defeat you, you're going to be my servant. That was a custom of the day when they didn't want to have all the warriors go to war. And so the Philistine warrior stood at least nine foot six inches. Uh, he was uh, armed in brass, puny compared to uh, uh, even Saul, who was the tallest man of Israel, the mightiest warrior of Israel. And he was cowed down, scared to death. He wasn't going to go fight that big giant. And Goliath's appearance and presence was an awesome sight. Look at verse 11. I'll just read a few more verses. In verse 11, it says, And when Saul and all the Israel heard those words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And so we see in verse 8 through 10 the challenge. I just read it every day, twice a day, for uh, 40 days. The huge Philistine descended upon the valley, started raving around. I can imagine his voice just amplified through that valley. And those little old Israelites were scared to death. They were shaking in their boots, so to speak. And the results was devastating. Verse 11 says, they were going to be slaves to the Philistines if somebody didn't defeat this giant. Not a man dared to accept the challenge. 
It would have been suicide. And even their leader, Saul, the tallest and strongest and mightiest warrior on record then, was paralyzed with fear. And so I want you to notice, second of all, David's moment. David's moment. In verse 26, the Bible says this, And David spake to the men and stood by him, saying, What shall be done to this man that killeth the Philistine? He was just delivering cheese, but he overheard the raving maniac down in the valley, defying the living God and challenging Israel. And he said to this, he said, to take away the reproach from Israel. What's going, who's, going to, who's going to do something? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He should defy the armies of the living God. And then his older brother started rebuking him, said, hey, listen, you're just a spectator, son. You're just full of pride. Uh, don't even ask that question. He was angry with David. And so David's moment was unexpected. David suddenly walked into God's divine stage to stand for him and proclaim his name and glorify his name. David had been fulfilling two jobs. Number one, playing the harp, which I think was the mouth harp, uh, for Saul during the depression and keeping the role as a shepherd for his father's sheep. The lowliest occupation of the day, shepherd. And he said this, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? David thought, how can the giant have the gall to defy Israel but defy the God of the, li the living God of Israel? That's what disturbed David. To his amazement, all the soldiers, especially his brother, uh, uh, David volunteered. And to accept the giant's bold invitation, he stood ready to defend the name of the, of the Lord. And then look at verse 33. The Bible says, And Saul said to David, Thou art... Able to go against, thou, thou art not able to go against the Philistines to fight with them, for thou art but a youth. He says, you're too young. For this man of war has trained since a youth to be a mighty warrior. Tried to talk him out of it, but there's no talking David out of it. And Saul had a limited perspective in the next few verses. He said, well, if you're going to go, son, take my armor. It didn't fit. And I don't think David ever had a piece of armor on in his life. And he put it on in submission and respect to the king that would soon uh, try to kill him. And I'll talk to you about that tonight, preach to you. And to the amazement of the soldier, especially the brother, thought, my word, what is he doing? He's committing suicide. And so he didn't know about his special skill, though. Saul did not know about the special skill that this little shepherd boy had a very special skill. And he didn't know, most of all, about his faith in God. Nor did he understand God's special blessing and appointment for God to use David by faith to defeat this giant. When he saw David, he was determined that he needed to carry that armor. But he said, hey, I can't, I can't take it. I, I've never proved it. And really what he was saying, I need my freedom to move. Amen? So he stripped off that armor, descended the valley, and faced that giant. Can you, can you imagine that? Dressed in one simple shepherd garb. And he, and, and he had uh, uh, in his right hand a sling. And in his shepherd's bag, he had five smooth stones. 
Now, young people, don't get the idea that sling was that thing like that forked wood that slung back. It was a sling like you sling. It was not just a sling shot. You slung that thing. You slung it. And it had to be an art to that. There had to be a skill to that. And so here he goes down the valley, and this giant's caught off guard. He's dumbfounded. He has... He sees this young boy, teenager, coming down the hill, coming, to, coming up to him, maybe, I don't know, 30 feet or so, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say. David had no armor, no helmet, so he recognized he was just a youth. He saw his countenance as a youth. He saw his flaming red hair. How many red hair in here say amen, or used to be, amen. And uh, he, was, uh, he, was, he recognized him as a boy. Not a trained warrior. And so we see the Philistine army watch in horror the next episode because the battle's going to be won. And David got that sling, one stone. He, only, he had four just in case. But he had one stone. And he started slinging that thing. I don't know if he slung it underhand. Y'all check this out in history. Or overhand. I don't really care. But I know one thing. It was just a strap with a pouch. And somehow you let go of one of the straps and it slings that rock to that destination. And I want you to know, friend, that the Philistine army watched in horror as he slung that rock, it hit him in the forehead. Some people say it was between the eyes, but the Bible doesn't say that. And one uh, preacher preached here about 20 years ago and said that uh, Goliath never had anything enter his mind like that. And he probably didn't. But I mean, it knocked him out. I mean, pinpoint accuracy. Here goes the rock right to his forehead. Then David runs, pulls out the sword. The Bible says in verse 51, and this was Goliath's sword. It was heavy as a lamb. But David had been used to pulling cast down lambs up. So he was in shape. And he pulled that big sword up. And he cut Goliath's head off. And the Philistines were shocked because there was victory for the king of Israel. And there was victory for the king of kings. And there was victory for the Israelites. I want to just give you in closing what Goliath teaches us. What Goliath teaches us. Number one, self-confidence alone is a dead end street. Look at verse 5 through 7 of, 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 of this chapter. It says that he had a helmet of brass upon his head. He was armed with coats of mail and weight of coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. That was very heavy. And he had greaves of the brass upon his legs and targets of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spearhead was weighed off 600 shekels of iron and one bearer a shield went before him. And so we see a great warrior. And he was confident in the hugeness of his frame his strength, his ability, and even his weapons. But I want to tell you something, the Bible records it well. He had all this, but he didn't have God. Number two, arrogance. What can we learn from Goliath? Arrogance leads to disaster. Look at verse 10. The Bible says this, And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that, I may, that we may fight together. He was arrogant. You ever met somebody that's arrogant? They knew it all before they even 
thought about it. Goliath appeared before Israel with total confidence in his strength, his ability to defeat any man that would face him. The Philistines were so self-centered, his ego was as big as his frame, nine foot six inches. And that is why he was so humiliated when a little boy named David, don't you like that song, Sunday school teacher? A little boy named David approached him. It hurt his pride. He said, why would you send a little strapling like this in my face? Then number three, I want you to learn what we can learn from Goliath is that false gods will, will fail us. In verse 43, you're going to notice what he said about God. In verse 43, the giant said this, And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me in the stays? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. By his gods. Folks, the Philistine cursed David by his false gods. He worshiped false gods like Dagon and Beelzebub. Judges 16, 1 Samuel chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 1. And Goliath was spiritually blind. He was worshiping and fighting and representing the wrong God. And then last but not least, we can learn from Goliath that tunnel vision sets up for deception. And look at verse 45. It says, And David said to the Philistines, Thou comest to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield, but I have come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Because of Goliath's human and pagan philosophy of life, he was easily deceived. And when David approached him with his shepherd garb and his, his staff and a mere uh, a smooth stone in his, in, in his sling, the giant uh, knew warfare of all kinds, but he didn't understand the strength of God and the grace of God and the might of God. And he didn't understand about the name of God. He was spiritually blind, and all he had was his false gods and his own, own uh, strength and his own might and his own determination. He was, uh, he was a pagan in a world that was going down in just a few minutes. He knew nothing of trusting God and honoring God. His confidence rested purely in himself. He didn't comprehend uh, or refuse to acknowledge God, because he didn't know anything about him. But David knew God. And David knew that God had taught him a few things. And I want to close with some things that David teaches us. This is like a Sunday school lesson, yes, but you need to go back to Sunday school and hear, and hear this very clearly. By faith, there's victory. By faith, we can win. By faith, no battle's too big for God. Amen. Amen. We're in a battle for our nation. We're in a battle for humanity. We're in, we're in a battle for the unborn. We're in the battle for sanity. We're in the battle for righteousness. We're in the battle for religious freedom in our country today. You might not know it, but you are, and I am. And only God can fight this battle. And that's why God's people, which are called by his name, ought to humble themselves and pray and seek God's faith. I want you to notice, first of all, what David teaches us, that God's reputation must always be first. God's reputation must always be first. I want to tell you why David won this battle. Look at verse 46. It says, in the day where the Lord delivered thee into my hands. He's talking to this big giant. I'd been, I'd been, I'd been stuttering like a little kid, amen. I, 
I'd have been so scared I couldn't have got a I couldn't have got a sentence out, wouldn't you? And look at this, he said, and I will smite thee. What kind of confidence is that? I'll take thy head from thy, from thee. That old giant must have been smiling, little red-headed uh, shepherd boy. Just a shepherd boy, not a shepherd man. Maybe a teenager, I don't know. But he said, this day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand and I will smite thee, take thy head from thee and I'll give thee the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day and to the fowl of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. Now listen, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Folks, when you get God's reputation at stake, God moves. That's why you should never pray a prayer like I have lately that God would ease up this stuff so I'd be more comfortable. That we'd ease up this stuff so we could be back to normal. No, what we need to pray for, God, get the glory. God, your name be magnified. And Lord, if you would heal our nation, it's all for your glory. If you would bring our nation together as a mighty Christian nation again, it'll be all for your glory. Folks, we should not pray for our convenience, for our comfort, for our pleasure, or for our little will. We need to pray that God's name will be known. The truth's falling in the streets. His name is being sloshed around like some kind of swear word in the United States of America. And I'm stinking fed up with it. But I can't fight the battle. I can't go up to D.C. and I can't go, I can't go, uh, uh, I can't vote. But praise God, I'll tell you what I can do. I can pray that the living God's name would be magnified through Davids that will stand for God in their community. Amen. Amen. We need somebody to stand, not in their own confidence, but stand in the faith that you represent God and that God is the living God and that God is able his reputation's at stake. If you want your prayers answered, church, just listen to me. You ought to pray, dear God, I'm praying this in Jesus' name and for your sake. It's not a tack on at the end of the prayer that most of us pray. I'm praying in Jesus' name and for your sake. I'm praying that you be glorified. Thine is the glory and the power. For thine is the kingdom and the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. NIV takes that out of Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer. How dare them. Takes it out. It's the most important verse in the prayer. For thine is the glory and the power. Oh, folks, listen. David knew something else too. He had confidence in God. Confidence in God leads to success. He wasn't a cocky young man. He was confident. That's called faith. That's why he made the Hall of Fame of Faith. Look at verse 37. Verse 37. Just a Bible study, but the Bible study is enough. Amen. And David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, he'll deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with thee. He said, Son, you're dreaming. You little red headed striper. You are dreaming. If you're going to go, put my armor on. He said, I Put it on, it won't fit. And I can't move. I can't move my arm in this armor. I'm taking it off and I'm going in the name of the Lord. And so, folks, the confidence in God led to success. Look at verse 45. Verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name 
of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. Because I'm coming in the name of Jesus. I'm coming in Jesus' name and for his sake. And so, folks, he had confidence that God would lead to success. That's called faith. In your battles, do you have faith that God is able? Do you have faith to realize that God can take down the giants of fear, of bitterness, of greed, of selfishness. They're all giants in our life. And then number three, we learn from David's life, he teaches us balance is the key. Now don't get me wrong on this point. David was an unusual, had unusual skill. Uh, he knew Saul's armor would just interfere, so he took it off because he needed mobility. Mobility. He needed it. Amen. And so he had honed his skills for years while guarding his father's sheep. David believed his faith in God combined with his ability to use a little sling would enable him to bring that giant down to head chopping level. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 through 18 tell us that we should have put on the whole armor of God and I believe we ought to put it on every day. Realizing, yes, we have skills. And I want to say this, friend. If God's calling you, he's calling you to prepare. And whatever room you're in, God's calling you to be faithful. God's calling you to teach a Sunday school class before you try to be a big missionary overseas. God's calling you to win souls here before you try to win souls there. He wants you to hone the skill. And it's not just a skill, but he wants you to have the confidence in God's word. He wants you to have confidence in soul winning. He wants you to have confidence in the planted word of God, say amen. He wants you to have confidence in the simple things that the world looks at and laughs at, calls it old-fashioned religion, calls it old-fashioned Christianity. But I want to tell you something, folks, God's word never returns void. And folks, let's don't take a sabbatical from handing out the word of God. I think every one of us ought to take 20 tracks out and hand them out this week. If you're scared to go open the door, knock on the door and run. I do that and there's not even a pandemic, say amen. But the word of God will never return void. We ought to mail it out, Miss Rose. We ought, to, we ought to shout it out. We ought to keep the media ministry and heighten it and get more listeners. Folks, this is not a time to retreat. This is a time to advance. And David had that unusual skill that he'd honed in. He'd practice it. I can imagine him sitting there uh, uh, picking off birds on a limb. Picking out a tree 50 yards away and pow, right in the middle of it. Maybe drawing a circle with some, some uh, goat cheese or what, no, whatever. A circle in there and hitting that target. Wow! Every day, day in and out, practice, 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 practice. And little did he know that God would use that simple skill, that simple honing of a skill called slinging a rock to bring down a mighty giant for God's glory. Now, folks, little is much when God is in it. It's sung a lot about this man. But folks, you better believe God's in it. And so there needs to be balance, but there's no balance unless you're on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? You can be as skilled as you want to be, just like that old giant if you want to. You can be so educated you're, that you have degrees running out your ears. 
But if you don't have the mighty name of God backing you up and the power of God and the word of God and the spirit of God, you will fail miserably like Goliath failed in his self-arrogant confidence. Whew. Fourth D, what David teaches us, opportunity comes when we're prepared. Opportunity comes when we're prepared. He spent many hours practicing this on the hillside probably. But in those days, a sling was a secret weapon. I'm going to prove it scripturally. In those days, the, 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 the sling was a secret weapon for the army of Israel. Turn to Judges, please. We just left there last week. Jephthah was a good study, wasn't it? Some people disagreed with my sermon. That's all right. It don't matter. I appreciate the point that we're living sacrifices, amen? But look at Judges chapter 20, verse 16. The Bible says this. I like this verse. Among all his, this people, there were 700 chosen men, left-handed. How many of y'all left-handed? Raise your left hand, please. Good. You can be a David. But look at this, it said this. It said, chosen men, left-handed, everyone could sling stones at a hair's breadth and not miss. Whew. You know what that's saying? There was a secret weapon for these mighty 700 chosen men, left-handed men. I don't know why they're left-handed. Some people say left-handed people are more intelligent. Shake your head right there, Ben. Praise God. I don't believe that, but it, may, but it might be because I'm looking at some of you. But no, not really. Uh, but left-handers usually are very intelligent, very intelligent. But I want to tell you something, folks. Left-handers are nothing without a skill. But left-handers are nothing without the cause, and that cause is the name of the Lord. Say amen. And so they spent many hours practicing, and they could take a hair off a man's head with a stone, with a stone, left-handed. And folks, the weapon of the Israelites was really a secret weapon, but I want to tell you what the real secret weapon is. Romans 8, 31. If God be for you, who can be against you? Romans 8, 37. We're more than conquerors through Christ. Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. John 15, 5. Without him, I can do nothing. Genesis, I don't know the exact verse. Is there anything too hard for God? Amen. That's our secret weapon. It's called the Word of God. I got to close, but I'm enjoying this little lesson. And I want you to know this, friend. David was prepared for the moment of opportunity. When the time came, he walked right through it, opened the door to glorify God, and God put him on a divine stage, really a divine confrontation. He was minding his own business, serving the cheese and the parched corn and trying to get a message from his brothers to his fathers. They're okay, daddy. And he heard the railing and the ranting and the defying and the cussing of the giant. And he said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you going to put up with that? There is a cause. Praise God, there's still a cause. Let me just close and say, we see some life-changing principles in this 
message, and I won't go into them. I'll, I'll preach them tonight. But number one, one of our greatest concerns should be to uphold God's reputation. The Bible says we ought to glorify God, whether we eat or drink, do it all the glory of God. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, verse 1 says we ought to tell people to follow me as I follow Christ. Amen. Don't you think his brothers were a little embarrassed when the little shepherd boy brought down the giant? Say amen, Clack. Come on, children, say amen. Let's respond just a little bit. You Sunday school teachers want a little response? This old Sunday school teacher wants a little too. Amen. And then number two, this, let me just say this. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, his name is your name. Christian. You are to represent him. We need to be constantly, consistently bringing honor to his name by defeating the giants in our life and not letting this world get us down and not to cow down to the temptations of this world, not to look like, act like, and react like the world. We're different. We're called out. We're living epistles. We're Davids with just a sling, but praise God, we have the foundation to stand upon his name. Number two, we must first and foremost trust God to help us achieve our goals. Proverbs chapter three, three through five, you all know it. It says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Oh, friend, verse six says, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Oh, man, the Bible says trust in the Lord. Sometimes it's hard, Miss Rose, when your heart's broken, when you lose a son, when you have heartaches and pain. But I want to say this, friend. We must first and foremost trust God, and then God will give us victory. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Then number three, I think life-changing principle, how to be a man of God or a lady of God after God's own heart. Number three, we must balance faith in God with confidence in ourselves and our abilities. The story of David is a beautiful balance of the spirit and preparation. On one hand, he had confidence he could take that giant out with one sling and one stone. If that didn't work, he had four more. And folks, some Christians go to extremes, don't they? Either way, they sit around and mourn and Wait on God to fight all the battles and do nothing to get ready for God. Nothing to train. Nothing. They don't, they don't come to church faithfully. They don't, they, don't, uh, they don't come to Sunday school. They don't uh, study the Bible. They don't have devotions. And they think, man, when the giant comes up, I'm just going to praise God anyway. No, you're going down, son, because you wasn't ready for the battle. The call to go is a call to prepare. Almost preached that at a college yesterday. I did kind of preach it at a graduation. Some Christians go to two extremes. Either they sit around and wait for God to do it all, or they try to do it all by themselves and say, hey, I'm trained. I can sling this stone and hit a man's hair, take it off the top of his head. But folks, we all need to realize that whether we're skilled or unskilled, whether we're in the preparation time, we need to stand in the strength of the Lord. 
We need to stand for his name. We need to have faith in God to fight our battles. Then last but not least, and I know I'm over time, we must be prepared to do what God wants to achieve through us at any given moment. We must be prepared to do what God wants to achieve through us at any given moment. When the opportunity comes, don't let God bypass you because you're not prepared. Don't let God bypass you because you don't have faith. Folks, we need to realize that God has a moment for you. He has a ministry for you. He has many battles for you. You better get ready. And you better prepare. And you better sweep the room God's given you like my preacher used to say. He said it from this pulpit on the 10th anniversary. If you don't sweep the room God gives you, he's not going to give you a bigger room to sweep. And the reason I had some confidence to come to this town and never pastor before and never really preached a lot is because I taught a Sunday school lesson and I saw God move. And I taught, I, I, I built a bus route and I saw God save. I've submitted to my brother Paul, my pastor, and I did whatever he wanted done and I saw God bless that ministry of a man that stood for God in a wicked time. Folks, I didn't have confidence in myself, but I want to tell you this, friend. I had a lot of faith that God called me to Dalton. And he trained me to a great pastor named Brother Paul Forsythe. And I'm indebted to it. I believe that David illustrates preparedness. But I believe most of all, Hall of Fame of Faith, David illustrates this. Even a little guy, a red-headed shepherd boy with a big God, can take down any giant. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this 58 verses. And Lord, I'm amazed that we're finished at 12 after 12. But I'm so happy and so thankful that God, you're preparing some people in this ministry to be giant slayers. And God, I'm so happy there's some people that's got some faith enough to hear the word of God and be faithful to the devotions of God each day and memorize the word of God to realize that giants are coming and not to be washed down the drain by the Philistines of this world, not to be defeated and disgraced. God, help us to realize that your reputation is at stake by how we live by faith. With every head bowed and every eye closed, have me say this morning, we'll, we'll go in just a minute now. But I don't get to see y'all but once a week, so I'm glad to see you. But have me say, preacher, I know I don't have many skills. I know that I have probably not prepared myself like I ought to. But I know that God is able and that God is bigger than any giant in my life. And by the grace of God and by the Spirit of God, I want to be balanced, but I want to stand on the foundation of his word and his calling. And I want to be ready in a moment when God calls me to the forefront to be his warrior, his soldier, and even his conqueror. By faith, I want to prepare for the battles. You'd raise your hand and say, Preacher, please pray for me. All over this auditorium. God bless you. Yes.
God's preparing you through heartaches. God's preparing you through heartbreaks. God's preparing you through the wicked time we live in. Have you ever seen a day, day so wicked? He's prepared you. Will you fail? You won't if, you, if you're by faith stand on his promises. Stand on his promises. Father, I want to thank you for teaching us a lesson about David and even Goliath. Lord, I think I've got more out of this chapter in the last week studying than I ever have in the 46 years I've preached. I want to thank you for the insights. I want to thank you for the truth. I want to thank you for rebuking my faithlessness. And I want you to, I want you to, Lord, increase my faith. And I might be old, but I'm not dead yet. And Lord Jesus, I want to be a soldier. I want to be faithful. I want to fight your battles for your reputation for your glory. So God, please help these folks that raise their hand to truly mean it. That they'll start preparing themselves every day in home devotions, every day in handing out tracts, every day in being faithful to church, every day being faithful to honor you with their, with their entire life and that your reputation's at stake in all that they do. God, help us just be good Christians. We'll praise you in Jesus' name.